Welcome to NSN Daily. Alex Margulies, Chris Murray, I'm Brian Samudio, Anthony Resnick. Running the show behind the scenes. Uh, plenty to kick around today. Nevada football with a, after a pretty rocky start, an absolute dominating uh, final three quarters and one and a half minutes of this one to uh, blow out Utah State. Live we'll our Capital Glass Athletic Grant will uh, talk with the recipients of, uh, of the grant to, this time around. Uh, the Niners expected to uh, not be a match for the Packers. They actually played a little better than I thought they would, but uh, We'll have that and the Raiders get fined and lose a draft pick. Uh, and also, what are the top rivalries in the Mountain West? A little mailbag extra. Um, guys, the, the word on our website, and I love this word, is bulldozed. And uh, it, uh, it really does kind of, once the bulldozer fired up, it actually is, is really what, what happened. I mean, to fall behind 9 nothing at home, a safety, a short field touchdown, Alex. Um, Nevada rattles off 34 straight points and uh, later, I'm going to give credit to the defense, but the offense was spectacular. Yeah, it's kind of what we've come to expect so far from the offense this season. I mean, remember in that game against Wyoming, Nevada was phenomenal offensively, built this huge lead, and then they basically just disappeared for a little more than a quarter before finding themselves again uh, in, in overtime. And then against UNLV, I mean, there were stretches where they just didn't have uh, much going on, and that's how it started against the Aggies. Their first three possessions, they combined for 15 yards. They missed on a fourth down. Uh, they took a sack in the end zone for a safety uh, and then with three and out. And from there, Nevada's offense was what we've seen at times, which is electric. Uh, really, it is it has become one of the most exciting offenses to watch in the entire country. And it starts uh, with the quarterback, Carson Strong. The redshirt sophomore has just been brilliant so far this year. His ability not only to throw the ball deep down the field, which I, I can't remember the last time I've seen a quarterback consistently be able to hit those deep threats, but to spread the ball around and take what the defense gives him. He completed passes to 10 different receivers once again. And uh, once again, his top target, Romeo Dubs, was too much for the opposing defense, stretching them over the top. Uh, an amazing 54-yard uh, touchdown. He also had a big touchdown uh, before that. And uh, three touchdowns in that first half for Romeo Dubs, who uh, is really starting to put together a special junior campaign. Chris, uh, Nevada 3-0 for the first time since 2010, that magical season with Colin Kaepernick and so many great Hall of Famers on that team. Uh, your overall assessment of the victory? Yeah, I mean, they played really well, and I think it was uh, interesting to see how they would react to some adversity. In their first two games, they had led wire to wire. They hadn't trailed a single second. So to get down 9-0, to have three bad offensive drives to start the game and to have to show, okay, are you going to, you know, fall off your level of play that we've seen this season? Or are you just going to start to execute, just claw your way back? And I wouldn't even say they clawed, clawed their way back. Uh, they went from 9-0 down to 21-9 up in less than 10 minutes in actual game time. So uh, this passing offense has just been spectacular. And we did mention coming into this game, at least I did, that I thought Nevada would have to show some offensive balance. And while they did run the ball a little bit, it really was the passing attack that led the way. And Romeo Dubs is obviously having a spectacular season. I thought that his uh, it wasn't like a Hail Mary, but as Nevada's down nine, it's third and five. Carson Strong gets flushed to the right side of the field, and he basically just throws up a jump ball 45 yards down the field, and Romeo Dubs goes up there and grabs it, just wins a one-on-one -on -one matchup. Uh, and I think that was the biggest play in the game, because if that doesn't connect, Nevada probably has to punt. Maybe Utah State gets a little bit more momentum. Um, but Romeo's been spectacular. Carson's been spectacular. They both rank second in the nation in their respective stats. Romeo second in receiving yards per game, and Carson second in passing yards per game. So uh, very, very good. And I know you want to talk about the defense as well. It's obviously very easy to focus on this offense, but the defense only gave up one scoring play the entire game and really look, uh, made Utah State look like a, a very rudimentary offensive unit. Yeah, let me get give some credit to the gritty guys on the other side of the line of scrimmage. I mean, 
nine points, you're down nine points early, and the offense basically gave two of them away in the in a sack in the end zone. And then it was a shortened field touchdown to get them to nine. And it was funny hearing the announcers on Fox Sports One go, they were almost giddy that Utah State had scored nine points in the first quarter. These guys are averaging only 10 points per game. They've got nine in the first whatever amount of minutes. It's a wild one in Reno. And then Nevada's defense just kind of went frank and shut them down the rest of the night. Granted, Utah State's offense is not very good. I mean, they, and it's because they're replacing so much. I mean, you're replacing a first-round draft pick quarterback. You're replacing so much talent on that team, and they still have no idea who their quarterback's going to be. They went back and forth twice between two young men at quarterback. But, yeah, I'm going to give credit to the defense in this one as well for bending, not breaking, and basically throwing a shutout for three-plus three, three plus quarters against, against a team in the Mountain West that's usually – very, very competitive. So Nevada wins it 34 to 9 to improve to 3 0 on this young season. Here's Jane Orvell, Carson Strong, and Toa Tawa after the game. You know, we've worked really hard uh, and we're prideful. Uh, you know, when we don't play well against somebody, we really study them. We, we really take it to heart. And it, it means a lot to us to be able to correct that and, and to come back and win. And so, you know, to beat these three programs, uh, that we lost to a year ago was really a, it was a challenging start to the season. And uh, for us to respond tonight the way that we did on a short week, um, it was good. It's a good feeling to win and beat this team uh, the way that we did. And so, uh, you know, we, we, we look forward to the next challenge. And, and uh, you know, on the flip side, you know, some of these teams that we've beaten, they, they are looking at us the same way. You know, they're They've been working on us for a year and, and being very challenged. And we have to be mature enough to understand that the challenges are going to be different every week. And so, um, and we just have to adjust to those different challenges. And so um, I'm proud of how our guys re responded in, in their preparation. It wasn't perfect. Um, you know, we, we got a safety early. We gave them an early touchdown. But I believe we responded and scored, you know, the next 34 points in the game after those early points. So very proud of that, proud of how our defense settled down. And, um, you know, we, we just got to continue to improve. It didn't feel too good last year when we were getting blown out by these teams. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely a revenge tour. We've been saying that, you know, ever since the season ended last year, you know, we just wanted to come back this season and get payback on all those teams that whooped us and embarrassed us. And, you know, it feels good. It really does. I'm just trying to read the defense and take what they give me every single play. Um, I just want to hit the open man. I don't care who it is. Um, and I guess, like, 75%, it's good, but we could be even better. Like, we're leaving a lot of, a lot of plays out there. I'm still missing plenty of throws every single game. Like, we can have way more yards and way more points, and we can be way better as an offense than what we've been doing. You know, the different schemes we're putting up with the linemen, you know, starts right there in the union. You know, they get everything going, and they did a phenomenal job today, and they're only getting better. So, you know, every single day we go out to go out to work, and, uh, you know, we get better. I love, I enjoy running behind those guys, you know, and our running back group is special this year. You know, we got a lot of different, you know, special guys, you know, that bring something different to the table. You know, I get to learn from every single one of these running backs, as well as Vi. You know, Vi is one of the most dedicated guys I know, not only to this program, but to the game of football. And, you know, he shows it every single day. So, you know, really shout out to those guys. 
So Katie Ryan with the uh, Nevada Sports Information Department gave us a great stat here. Only four players in program history have caught three touchdown passes in a half. And it goes back to 1977, Steve Sanini, uh, against Western Montana. His daughter is now on the Nevada softball team. 1993 and 1994, Brian Reeves, who was just an absolute electric playmaker, and now Romeo Dubs. And Reeves also did it against Utah State twice, 93 and 94. So an incredible stat there. But uh, Chris, when it comes to who's caught four touchdowns in a game, there's only one, and he was a pretty special athlete. Yeah, Chris Singleton became a future Major League Baseball player, but actually came to Nevada to be a football player. So, uh, you know, Romeo probably could have got that one. Actually, every single one of his catches was in the first half. And the thing that's so interesting about him is, you know, Jay Norvell has even said it is if you actually just look at like the 40 yard dash time, it's not electric, but he just every single play, he's like two steps behind the defense. And it, you just don't know how that is. Like if you Utah State just put a safety over the top of wherever Romeo Dubs is, but, um, you know, clearly, uh, it, it's a very, very uh, potent attack, and it's a very, very smart idea, uh, you know, from uh, Matt Mummy to be able to spread this ball around enough to where you have to defend so many different parts of the field um, that it gives Romeo those opportunities to get one-on-one -on -one and to be able to burn that defense. And uh, is as productive as they were, they basically barely missed two more 50-yard go routes, one of them in the end zone, um, that could have given him, you know, maybe five touchdowns. That's probably asking too much. He'll take three. Um, but definitely a spectacular way to, to start the season for both of those guys, Romeo Dubs and Carson Strong. Alex, Coach Norvell even said it was an unfair comparison to compare Romeo Dubs to the great Jerry Rice. But if you put Romeo in a red, white, and gold uniform and let him run routes, watching him last night, you can see what he sees. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, he just knows the game of football. He knows how to find positioning. He knows how to run routes. He knows how to utilize his speed uh, like Jerry Rice did. And, and uh, that's as high, high of praise as you can give a wide receiver is, is to compare him to Jerry Rice. And I don't think that um, Coach Norvell would, would use that lightly. I mean, is, is he going to be Jerry Rice and have the career that he did? I mean, that's, that, that's next to impossible to expect something like that. Uh, but really just an impressive performance again by Dubs, who is just electric. And I think this is really just an impressive look at the offense overall because of the way that these teams can do things where you're talking about you know, getting the underneath stuff. And then that sets up the over the top. And then Nevada's passing game is so good that all of a sudden you talk about the run game and, and Toa Tau is going against six man boxes. And so it just, the balance that Nevada has been able to establish here early uh, has been great. And it's, it's just been a lot of fun to, to watch so far this season. And, and, you know, I can't remember the last time we had so much fun just watching a Nevada offense execute and make big plays. And I think that, that's what it comes down to is just the amount of explosive plays that this offense is, is capable of, not only in the passing game, but you saw it from Tala too, who chewed off a 60-yard run and a great 15-yard run where, again, he bulldozed his way into the end zone and jumped for that pylon, and it was just showed how much firepower this team has, and, and that's what's so fun to watch. Yeah, I don't want to over, overlook uh, Toa Tala going for 107 yards on – just 12 carries and a touchdown and absolutely manhandling, making a defense look bad. And it's, he's just got such a great combination of everything. He's fast. He's strong. He's nimble on his feet. He's great. Got great vision. He's just a bowling ball and you can't, you just can't knock him over with an arm tackle. So yeah, it's, it's a great combination on offense right now. And 2020 being 2020 Nevada will be on the road on Saturday against New Mexico in Las Vegas. So it's like Professor Plum committed it with the what in the library. It's just because of what's going on, Chris, in Albuquerque, the COVID situation there, 
I think this is the smartest thing to do. As weird as if, if we had said this years ago, a year ago, you would have said no way. As weird as it, as it is, I think it's the, the most fair way to treat this New Mexico team is to give them a home field that is, you know, so they don't have to go and play in a hostile stadium. Yeah, I think they're calling it a neutral site game, but yeah, it's kind of like a home game for New Mexico. The limits in uh, gathering in Albuquerque right now is five people. So uh, it's smart for New Mexico if they want to play a season just to set up operations somewhere else and basically play their season out of Las Vegas. So, uh, you know, it's not, it's not ideal for them, but as you mentioned, at least they get some kind of a home game feel and they're not playing all seven of their games on the road in hostile environments. So it's the fairest way to do it. And, you know, another opportunity for the Wolfpack to go out there and have another commanding effort. Uh, You're looking at a New Mexico team that hasn't even won 10 games over the last three plus seasons. So, uh, you know, the Wolfpack should continue to roll before the tougher matchups start to come around on the schedule. But, uh, you know, continue to gain some confidence before you play the likes of like San Diego State and Hawaii and San Jose State and Fresno State on the back end of the schedule. Alex, this is going to be kind of weird. Uh, the Wolfpack has a chance to go 2-0 and in Vegas before the Rebels even win a game in their home city in 2020. Yeah, maybe Nevada wins more games in Vegas this year than UNLV does, and I think that would be something for, for Nevada fans to kind of poke fun at Rebels fans about. They love any kind of opportunity to poke fun at each other. Uh, but I think this is a fair decision. I think, um, you know, that was kind of rough for New Mexico to have to go play at San Jose State. Um, and I think if they're already in Vegas practicing, it's close to Albuquerque, at least you're not just giving Nevada another home game and, and really just rewarding them really for this tough situation that New Mexico is in. So finding this neutral site, making Nevada still travel and, and have the inconvenience of all of that and, and make it not a home game for them. I think it makes it much more equitable, uh, you know, for the Lobos and, and trying to give them as much fairness as they possibly can, given their COVID situation uh, down there in Albuquerque. All right, we've got some breaking news when it comes to uh, Reno 1868. We're going to get to that coming up after the break right now on NSND. That's coming up in just a couple of minutes. You know, uh, literally breaking news right in the middle of uh, when we were taping this show, uh, we got an email from uh, Reno 1868 FC announcing that they are ceasing operations following the 2020 season. Guys, that, that word cease... Uh, mean could mean so many things. I mean, it just, uh, what's your initial impressions of this? You look through the email and it talks about so many angles of this, but uh, Chris, when you read this first, what did you, what are you taking out of this? I mean, they're, they're, are they going away forever now? I mean, it's heartbreaking news. I mean, this is an organization that over its first four years had been highly successful. It had been run top-notch. Ian Russell had done a tremendous job. They had a great partnership with San Jose State, San Jose Earthquakes of the MLS. They sent people up to the MLS level. Um, It's just, uh, you know, it's heartbreaking for people who supported this club over the first four years. And uh, it's really just a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. I mean, you're always operating at a pretty thin margin when you're doing minor league soccer at the second division level in the lowest media the smallest media market uh, in the entire USL. And and certainly attendance had fallen off by almost 1,200 people from the first season to the third season, um, you know, almost 22% decline. But uh, people love this organization. I mean, you saw the supporter groups going out there when they weren't allowed in the stadium and banging on stuff outside of the stadium. Um, So I guess it's not hugely uh, shocking just because of the current situation that we're in with COVID-19, not being able to have fans this year, probably not being able to have fans next year. But uh, you know, it's surprising to me, and it's it's definitely you know it it hurts you because uh, you know you get to know some of the people who work for the organization, some of the players, and Alex more than anybody, and to see uh, you know their uh, careers uh, in, in, in uh, you know just kind of thrown for a loop is just kind of a 
a crazy situation based on the fact that this was the best team in the USL over the last regular season. And they're playing playoff games a month ago, and now they don't exist in this month. Alex, you were the play-by-play voice for us with this team, and you know these guys better than anybody on our team. And we all got to know them very, very well from management all the way down to athletic trainers and support staff. Uh, just what is it? This is a gut punch. Yeah, it's it's heartbreaking. I mean, uh, to be there from the time this team was announced and, and on the air from the very first game that they did to what could be the very last game that they did uh, a few weeks ago in that that crazy game against Phoenix that ended in PKs. And, and you said it. I mean, they were the number one team in the league this year. And, and um, what a season, what a four-year run. And, and you just think about all the people involved, the front office, the coaches, the players, and you know, Ian Russell. And I'm just – just to give you guys some insight, at the time of this taping of the show, it's earlier in the morning. Eric Edelstein will talk later today via Zoom, and we may get more insight as to the reasons why and, and what is the future, if there is a future, for soccer here in northern Nevada. But again, at the time of this taping, it's shell-shocking um, to, to hear this. But at the same time, it's not because of what's happened in COVID. And you have to look at, for franchises around the country, making no revenue from tickets, losing money. And over the last four years, Reno hasn't exactly drawn to the point where they were, were extremely successful with their attendance. They did a great job, and especially out of the gates. But to lose revenue for the entire season, I think, ultimately, probably was too much to overcome. You know, uh, this team is owned by, by Herb Simon, who is also the owner of the Indiana Pacers. I imagine uh, he's faced some very, some very difficult decisions uh, in his business when it comes to the Pacers and, and losing a ton of gate and parking and all the different revenue uh, from his NBA season. So uh, while I'm, I'm just heartbroken for all those involved, I, I, at the same time, can't be surprised because of what's happened this year from a business perspective. And, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll hear that there, there could be a plan in a few years. Maybe it's next year, the year after. Maybe it's even in a different league uh, tier of the USL. Maybe it's not even in the USL championship, but, you know, hopefully soccer will return to Northern Nevada because I do think there is a passion for it here. I think it has done so many great things uh, for this community and I would hate to see it go away forever. Yeah. I mean, looking at this email guys, and I don't want to look too deeply into wording, but there are some words in here that you can tell were, were, were chosen very carefully. It doesn't say that they are pausing operations. It says they are seizing operations. It's not saying the club is being dissolved which is a way that sometimes that to me means permanent. But there's some words in here that talk about the fact that Reno 1868 is a a franchise that has a multi-use stadium. It shares it with the Reno Aces, the baseball team. And it says that, quote, currently, however, the quality of soccer in America is quickly accelerating and as such would require upgraded facilities. Soccer in America is quickly outgrowing baseball stadiums. The club believed a soccer stadium in Northern Nevada would be necessary for soccer to expand and compete in the current landscape of second division professional soccer. Uh, how do you take those words? And I mean, maybe I'm looking into it too much, but I, I, Alex, you're shaking your head. What are your thoughts when, when I say those words? I think it's been pretty clear. I mean, from the USL, uh, USL championship, they want as many of their teams to be playing in soccer specific stadiums as possible. And I think that is the next step to really legitimizing your position as a second tier club in the United States is to be able to get uh, a stadium. And right now the landscape here in Northern Nevada, it, it, the, frankly, it's gonna be very difficult, I think, to pull that off and to have the kind of funding, whether it's from private, whether it's from the public, whether it's a combination of the two, to get Reno 1868, a soccer specific stadium. But you've seen some franchises, uh, even down um, recently, look at New Mexico, 
Uh, I, I'm not sure if they're actually approved yet, but I know they're on the doorstep of approving uh, a soccer specific stadium in Albuquerque after that, uh, you know, situation down there with the New Mexico United has just caught fire. I mean, they had 12, 14,000 fans a game in their inaugural season uh, playing in a very similar situation in, as Reno, where they were sharing uh, a baseball stadium, sharing the same facility as the Albuquerque Isotopes, but they were already looking ahead and looking forward to building a soccer specific stadium. So maybe that is one of the reasons as to uh, why this is happening. Again, at this time, we haven't had a chance to have that conversation uh, with Eric Edelstein, who's the president of Reno 1868. But these are definitely uh, questions we'll be asking moving forward and, and trying to figure out why this happens and uh, if the possibility of soccer returning uh, is, is a feasible option, at least in the near term. Chris, uh, I'm usually a pretty positive guy when it comes to projects and whether or not, oh, I think that they can do that. I think that would work here. Um, when it comes to the prospects of building a soccer stadium, a professional level soccer stadium in a city the size of Reno, which is which dangles around market 100 to 105, we're not talking about Las Vegas. We're not talking about Salt Lake City or Albuquerque. Albuquerque is a sports frenzy town. They support the Lobos like crazy in basketball down there. But you know, what's your optimism level that if a stadium could be, could a stadium be built in Reno? Reno's had a tough time just building a hockey rink for public use. And that's where I was going to go. So the Reno ice facility, which is nearing completion, about a $10 million project. I would imagine a soccer stadium would actually be a little bit higher. You'd have to buy the land. Um, you know, the land uh, for Reno ice is not including that $10 million price tag. You're probably looking at somewhere between 10 to $15 million. And I don't think the city would be open uh, to footing any of that bill. Obviously, with COVID-19 budget uh, issues, um, the city doesn't have a, a additional money. They've really pushed back against putting in the necessary uh, money at the Reno Event Center to bring minor league hockey into that facility. So you're, you're basically going to need an angel investor to come in here with 10, 15 million dollars who really love soccer to build that facility. And it sounds like that facility, um, you know, would be required uh, for us to move forward with having uh, USL return uh, to this area. And then you just go to the fan interest. I, I wouldn't say that Reno 1868 FC was not well supported, but you just look at the history of minor league sports in this area, uh, you lost the G League Bighorns, you lost the Silver Sox. Uh, Wolfpack football had been top or bottom 10 in the nation last year in attendance per game for their uh, situation. So um, it's just not a sports rabid town. So who are you going to get to come in and invest all this money required to get the stadium, required to get the team to come back? I'm not saying it will never happen uh, because you do have a pretty passionate group of maybe three to 4,000 fans who would love to see soccer come back. That's just a big ask in the current uh, economic situation. Could Herb Simon do it? I mean, Herb Simon has a lot of other things outside of the Pacers. He owns Meadowood Mall. He owns malls across America. And those obviously were impacted a lot by COVID-19. So I don't see him being the one to do it. Um, but maybe there is just somebody out there who loves soccer and, you know, loves Northern Nevada and wants to pair the two together. But outside of that, I think it's going to be a difficult climb for sure. Tough news to hear uh, on a Friday, but uh, now even speculating, looking forward. And this is this would be a topic we could talk about even next week or down the line once we heard from Eric Edelstein is how does this affect now the sole tenant of Greater Nevada Field, the Reno Aces, moving forward? Because what's their future? What is I mean, their future? Major, major League Baseball has talked about contracting minor league teams. You know, is is are the Reno Aces on the chopping block for that? Yeah. That's scary. That's so scary. It's, it, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's the unfortunate time. And, and you know what? This, this is not going to be the first axe that falls across. I mean, there are going to be so many similar cases of this. I don't think we have fully realize the impact of what COVID is going to have on sports 
both at the, the professional, like the NBAs, the NFLs, the major league baseball level, but more specifically at the minor league level, I just think that COVID has really just absolutely destroyed so many businesses across the country when it comes to sports. Obviously it's destroyed a ton of businesses period and sports uh, is, is certainly not going to escape that at all. We will of course continue to monitor this very, very closely stick with us on our social media and at nevadasportsnet.com. Coming up after the break, a little positive news. Capital Glass, their athletic grant going to Hug High School this time around. We'll talk with one of their coaches next. Welcome back into NSN Daily. Every single month now, it's brought to you by Capital Glass, the athletic grant that they've been so generous over the last few years in uh, basically just giving back to our local high schools and athletic programs because Honestly, it's 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 hard to find money pre-COVID for some of these programs, and it really helps out. Chris Early, who's the head girls basketball coach over at Hug High School, joining us right now. Uh, Chris, first off, how you been? Very good. You know, we're, we're making the best of what we can do. Tell me about this uh, athletic grant from Capital Glass. It's $750, and they don't just give it to one program. I mean, Hug, it's baseball, track and field are getting it. You're getting it. Where does that money go? What, what, what's it going to be spent on? Um, most likely uh, spirit packs or uh, scholarships for our girls. Um, you know, we try to fundraise as much as we can, but I, I like to, um, to put a lot of these things towards our spirit packs. Uh, we don't charge our girls anything. And, you know, um, in, in our demographic, it's uh, for some of our girls, it's nice for them to get something, something new and something that, that is their own, you know, that some they don't really have to share with their brothers or sisters. So uh, that's, that's a big thing for them. As Brian mentioned, this is going to multiple programs at Hug High. What was the reaction among the coaches, uh, you know, that you work with uh, when you guys did get this, uh, this donation and uh, to help you guys financially? Well, well we're just uh, very thankful and appreciative, you know, um, people don't have to do stuff like this. So um, for them to, to, say, you know, we want to help our community and, and for us as coaches to see it um, immediately affect, uh, you know, the, the, the students that we work with. It's, it's um, you know, that kind of warms up your heart, you know. Chris Early from uh, Hug High School joining us right now uh, with the Capital Glass uh, Athletic Grants. Uh, Chris, uh, when you say spirit pack, that sounds fun, but what exactly is it? And when you say scholarships for your girls, is that toward college? What, 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 what are we talking about? Yeah, for uh, so for the spirit packs, we um, it's for their gear for the season. You know, uh, we like to have you know, some a sweatshirt, a uh, bag, something um, to let them uh, show that they're uh, they're with the, the Lady Hawks uh, basketball program. And as far as uh, scholarships, um, it is for college. Yeah. Um, we were um, fortunate enough to do really well with fundraising last year, and we put some money aside for, um, uh, we, you know, we, we can't give the big $10,000 scholarships, but yeah. um, I know our girls will, um, they will usually have um, those unknown costs, you know, you're, you're paying for this, paying for that, you know, some extra books, but I, I will say um, our girls did a phenomenal job. Uh, um, all but one is pursuing secondary education and they were, they came together and helped each other out with all their scholarships. Um, I asked who needed help for, um, for college and they said our, all our scholarships have covered everything. So thank you to everybody that, that helped for that. That's awesome. What do you, what do you guys been able to do leading up to this season? Obviously it's been an unusual year. You guys are scheduled to start play 
uh, in early 2021 in January. I guess what are you guys able to do right now as you prepare for the season? Um, nothing yet. Um, <laughs> we, we, you know, we want to do as much as possible without um, breaking any, any rules. And of course, um, the safety of, of our students is, is number one. It's our priority. Um, and, and, you know, a few months back, we're still kind of didn't know what's going on. We're trying to follow all the um, governor's guidelines. You know, obviously, I'm I'm right on the line trying to do what I can as soon as I can um, to not just for for the sake of basketball, but to to keep um, the girls stimulated. You know, to to have them doing something, have active. I think, um, well, you know, at, during the pandemic, we realized how important sports is to to our students and how much it it takes them. Not just their lives, but but ours as well. Chris Early with Hug Eyes uh, Girls Basketball Program joining us right now. He's the head coach over there. Uh, Chris, um, we talk. We've been talking with coaches since mid March. Chris and I, Chris Murray and I, have been doing this show uh, like this since mid March, and uh, across the board, whether it's Jay Norvell and Elevens, TJ Bruce up at the university, being able to have this type of contact with their student athletes has been priceless. I would imagine you've been kind of doing the same thing just to kind of keep contact with your girls. Uh, yeah. Um, well, it's, it's, a, you know, it's a little bit more than that. We, um, we don't zoom as often, uh, but we just from text to, um, to, to having phone calls and, and a lot of actually our, our contact, I know we, you know, has been kind of one-on-one, you know, some of these um, our girls, just, just need some help with, with certain things, you know, so I'll, I'll pick them, pick a few up a couple times a week. We'll head over to the food bank to get some supper for them, their families, and, you know, maybe go to the grocery store. Um, even right when, when schools um, uh, started, we, we had some help from um, the sheriff's office. We were able to get some school supplies at, at Walmart and things like that. So even those little interactions that kind of get them out of the house and and, you know, just to, to venture out just a little bit, it was kind of a breath of fresh air for them, you know. I know there's been a lot of controversy just about not being able to play sports this fall, but the plan is to have truncated, you know, six-week seasons for each of the individual winter, fall, and spring sports. How important is it just to give our young student-athletes an opportunity to play some sports this year, especially if it's their senior season of high school? Well, it's huge. Um, we thought last year was bad um, with what happened, and now at least we have something. And uh, I always tell my girls, there, there's a positive in every situation. We can't just look at anything negative. And, um, and I, I think it's very important because we, um, we've been on a little streak of uh, a few of the, the JCs here have been recruiting our girls. And I think uh, uh, the few of the, the seniors this year have, have that ability. So, um, you know, the, the thought of them having to, um, to play basketball and get an education at the same time is, is huge. You know, it's um, I, I always push them for, for secondary education, whether it's at the university level or just a, a, a trade. So just to get them to continue learning and to stimulate their mind is, is very important. Coach, let's talk about your team a little bit since we, uh, we've, we've got you on the line. Um, looking to improve, obviously, to come into next year. What do you think will be your strengths when we do play? I, I, I'm getting tired of hearing Chris. Chris's vocabulary is huge. But truncated is the word I'm tired of hearing. Uh, we know it's going to be a smaller season. What do you expect out of your girls, and what do you think will be your strengths? Uh, well, um, I, I think uh, our, our strength is, is able to adjust. You know, I, I've pushed that to our, our girls, um, 
you know, the, especially the seniors that we have now since they were freshmen. And um, our, our, we have winners. And, and when I say that, that's, that is our strength. And, and, uh, and what I mean by that is, uh, specifically is, is winning to us isn't the outcome of a game. It's, it's your attitude and how you approach things and, and things like that. And you know what? We're going to make the best of what we have, and we are going to terrorize these other teams that we play. You started as the JV coach for Hug and then moved up to the varsity level. What does coaching just mean to you uh, and being able to get back out there on the court this season? Well, um, to me, uh, the coaching is how I give back to my community. Um, it started as, as a, you know, something very small way back when, it, you know, we were um, coaching at Little Flower with uh, my cousins. And it was because um, my, my aunt and uncle had to do uh, community service time. And if we coached, they didn't have to do the time. So it worked out for them. And it kind of um, become became something, you know. I, I liked doing it. I liked, um, you know, I, I liked when I saw the light bulb go off on uh, on on the heads. It, it was I started um, uh, coaching boys. I ended up doing a uh, boys varsity sparks, and then came over to hug. And uh, it just, you know, when when you make a difference in someone's life, that's that's I think that's what I'm addicted to, you know. Chris Early, the girls' high school basketball coach over at uh, at Hug High School. Chris, uh, before we let you go, I'm going to give you the platform to talk to Capital Glass, who has uh, done this at athletic grants for so many high schools. What would you say to them about what this truly means to you and your your program and your kids? Well, I, anything that goes to our our girls and our students is, um, you know, definitely uh, touches me in a certain way. You know, you you're helping them and. Um, Making a difference in their life is, is huge for me. So anything that helps them is definitely uh, something I, I just uh, can't fathom the, the appreciation I have for them. Congratulations to the High Girls basketball program, as well as baseball, track and field, uh, winners of uh, this month's Capital Glass Athletic Grant, 750 bucks going toward our student athletes in our area. Chris, best of luck, man, getting through uh, everything that we're dealing with right now and hopefully uh, um, nothing else will be truncated in the near future. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. We'll have much more coming up here on NSN Daily right after this. You know, it was uh, rough watching the 49ers uh, run around with a bunch of guys with uh, names on the backs that uh, I didn't know uh, last night. There were a, uh, This is a walking mash troop right now, uh, falling to Green Bay 34-17. Um, Alex, it's kind of what you expected, you know, when you're going up against a Hall of Fame quarterback uh, and you don't have fans in the stands to support you and you've got a bunch of literally uh, supporting cast guys out there, there's, there's not there's no matchup. I don't understand why the NFL is doing this. I mean, you've got a Thursday night football game with a team on three days rest that had about, what, more than a half of a dozen guys out because of COVID and you still want to play the game. I mean, playing Thursday night games is already kind of, it's fringy. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's really not in the best interest of anybody, but the NFL making more money and everyone knows it. Uh, and keeping this game going instead of rescheduling it was purely because of money. Um, so it just doesn't, it look, it is what it is. The Niners are having a rough season. They're, they're probably not going to be a playoff team. Maybe they will be because there's extra teams and they do rally and, and get guys healthy, but it's just been one hit after another for this club when it comes to injuries and these types of situations. And I just, whether it was the 49ers or somebody else, this isn't, I'm not saying this because I like the 49ers. I just think that playing that football game was really just in the, was not in the best interest of anybody, including the fans watching at home. It just didn't feel like a real NFL 
regular season football game. It kind of felt like watching preseason football, to be honest. Chris, uh, your thoughts? I saw a smile and a little smirk there. Uh, what was uh, What are you thinking about? I'm looking up Richie James's career numbers. So he played 32 games with the 49ers, had 15 career catches, and the guy had a hell of a game last night. Uh, I mean, everybody uh, is injured or on the COVID list. Nine catches, 184 yards, and a touchdown for those 49ers. So kudos to Richie James. But I agree with Alex. I mean, it doesn't – I mean, Cal's not playing a football game this weekend because they have one positive test. The 49ers are without, like, 30 players, and we're just we're just marching forward. But Thursday night football brings in a lot of money. So that's – the inconsistency is just – it is what it is. It's just – it wasn't a fair game. Uh, the Packers obviously went into this with a huge advantage given where the 49ers were. And let's say you push the game back to Sunday. Do you get Brandon Ayuk back? Uh, you know, some of these other guys who just had to go into the close quarantine quarters, they didn't test positive. They just had to be isolated for a couple of days. That would have been a much more fair matchup, but then you can't move a different game to Thursday. So that's the NFL's MO, though. It's whatever it uh, takes to get to that money. It's not about being fair and about, yeah, giving the 49ers a fair opportunity in this game. Like, kudos to Aaron Rodgers. He was spectacular, 305 yards, four touchdowns, quarterback rating of 98.8 out of 100. Um, you know, they probably would have won the game regardless. They just put the 49ers in such a disadvantage uh, situation. And it's all just because they want to get to that pot at the end of the rainbow. And uh, it's kind of what's turned me off on the NFL. Uh, even if you go back to the Colin Kaepernick thing, like he should be in the league, but they think that he might threaten their revenue. So he doesn't get a chance. And you have the, four, uh, the uh, Cowboys throwing out quarterbacks nobody's ever heard of. So uh, it's disappointing to see, but not surprising that the NFL did go the trout and basically sacrifice the 49ers for a week. The true tragedy of the night was the overturning of the touchdown catch by River Craycraft. River Craycraft out of Washington State, called up by the 49ers literally hours before he suits up, catches a touchdown pass. And I know it was close, but I, I thought it was tragic that they took it away from them. Uh, on the other side of this, the Raiders have been fined. John Gruden, they took a draft pick from the Raiders for repeated COVID violations. You know, uh, Let's play football, but uh, hey, if you you take away those, if you uh, you you violate COVID or protocols, we're going to find you. Now take picks away, Alex. I, I I don't know how to weigh all this out. Yeah, I mean they basically going back to Trent Brown's positive test in late October is really what this is coming from, and and I mean I, you know they've been finding using money as a way to kind of make teams take certain things seriously, and and now they're really trying to punish teams, not only with a big financial, I mean, you're talking about 500 grand to the franchise and 150 grand to John Gruden, but a sixth round pick is valuable. I mean, the, every draft pick in the NFL is valuable. And to have that stripped away, uh, you know, because of COVID, that's, that's a pretty severe deal. I mean, what, what did the Patriots lose for, for cheating a few years ago? Like, didn't they lose like a fifth round pick or something? Maybe it was higher, but, you know, to, to kind of equate that, it's kind of interesting, but um you know, it's just part of this this strange year that we're in, and, and uh, you wonder how much more severe some of these punishments are going to continue to get if, if teams, like, are they going to start taking higher draft picks? I mean, you're going to lose, like, a first-round pick or a second-round pick? That would really scare some teams into yeah. doing things a certain way. Uh, we got to go to break. We're hearing more and more now about uh, the Reno Aces situation with 1868 season operations. Want to save time for that. We're going to get to break and have our dollar loans and our money play of the week right after this. It's Friday, and that means our Dollar Loan Center Money Play of the Week. <laughs> Roll the video. Let's just jump right in here. How about longtime Pittsburgh Steeler linebacker James Harrison? Yeah, 
Staying in the gym, bench press is 525 pounds. You even see the bar flex. He's 42 years old, spent 14 seasons in pro football. But, oh, my goodness, Alex, Chris, how much you bench? What's your biggest bench press ever, Alex? Uh, you know, when I played high school football, I got up to like 305 pounds was, I think, my my highest amount. That was only one rep. Uh, now I probably couldn't bench, you know, anywhere near that. Certainly 500 pounds is just insane. Mm -hmm. I think the real question is how much did Rez bench at his highest amount? Because he probably eclipsed all of us. All right, Rez, you get the final word here. Three and a quarter. 325. I knew it. it. Yeah, he's a beast. Chris? Yeah, I've done 525 before. Yeah, okay. That's what I figured. That's what I figured. I have short arms, so it was easy to get. I got 300 up once, and I walked. I got I could, squat, I could squat 500 pounds on high school. That doesn't surprise me. That doesn't surprise me. You know, me. that was that was the only thing. 500 in the bench, though? Jeez. <laughs> Coming up next on the NSM Daily, some positive news when it comes to Reno 1868, stuff that we are hearing. want to get that to you coming up after the break in our final segment. You know, some rough news uh, earlier in the show, hearing that Reno 1868 FC, the soccer team, is – ceasing operations. We were then wondering about baseball. And Alex, we've been kind of reaffirmed a little bit that uh, the Reno Aces are staying devoted to keeping professional baseball in downtown Reno. Yeah, again, we'll have more information on this show come um, Monday. Uh, hopefully we'll, we'll get uh, Eric Edelstein to come on NSN Daily and talk more about this. But, you know, we did get an email basically saying that the, the Greater Nevada Field and, and the franchise is fully committed to uh, focusing on AAA baseball and, and continuing to have uh, professional baseball in downtown Reno. So hopefully that continues to be the case. Um, you know, we know minor league baseball teams are going to start get, getting contracted uh, across the country by major league baseball. Um, but, you know, I, I think there should be optimism to keep uh, the Reno aces. It's, it's become an institution there in downtown. And, and um, as, as Eric Edelstein pointed out in the email, they'll be fully committed to, to trying to put the best product out there and, and, giving family affordable fun uh, their greater Nevada field with baseball. Chris, we got about 35 seconds left. What's your optimism level there when it comes to baseball? I mean, I'm optimistic. A lot of it comes down to major league baseball though, right? Are they going to give players to the individual teams like they didn't do this last year? So some of it's out of their control, but what they can control, I'm optimistic that they'll do everything they can to keep the Reno Aces in downtown and in Northern Nevada for the foreseeable future. I agree. The city of Reno has invested so much. The community has invested so much into that beautiful ballpark downtown. Um, you know, I'm not going to rule out that uh, we may see a level change, you know, or because there's going to be constrictions, but I still think we're going to pro, pro ball in downtown Reno. That's going to do it for us here on NSN Daily on a Friday for Alex Margulies, Chris Murray, Anthony Resnick. I'm Brian Samudio. Have a great weekend.